Hi, this is Neil Parks from Beachwood, Ohio. I like Israel National Radio because it's the best independent source of news all about Israel. Keep up the good work. Hi, my name's Brian. I'm from Manchester, and I love Israel National Radio because it reminds me where my real home is. Shalom, this is Nancy Austin, comedian from Jerusalem, and I love Israel National Radio because it's genuine. You're listening to IsraelNationalRadio.com. Nation show. I'm your co-host Ray Patterson, and I am sitting here, of course, with uh, my friend and cohort Adam Penrod. Adam, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. Don't know if I am. Hello. We we, we are going to have a wild and crazy show here. I'm afraid. Uh, here we are, Fourth of July, and we as Americans are celebrating our Independence Day. And how are we celebrating it? By giving our independence away. And it is just a remarkable thing that uh, we're having to deal with at, at this moment. I know we've been talking about the election and you know all of this, but here we go again with just one more thing. It never seems to end with this this administration. Uh, we we now have the Supreme Court officially. Uh, putting us into a state of socialism. Uh, they've, they've rubber-stamped this. Uh, I, I, I don't know what else to, to call it. Now, I know that, and I should just say, the stamp of socialism in our lifetime, because socialism has actually been, has been growing. I mean, Medicare is a mandate. You have to pay into it. Uh, Social Security is a mandate. You have to pay into it. So we have been giving away our individual freedoms for quite some time now. And I, I just find it truly remarkable. And I'd love to use the word coincidence, but we all know there are no coincidences. So. <laughs> as Vindal used to say, there's no such thing as a coincidence, just coincidences. Uh, Incidences happening simultaneously. That's, that's what there are. Yeah. Well, and here we are, uh, going to be talking about this today. Uh, there's a, you know, just a lot in the news. I mean, I don't know how we can ever keep up with it during one show a week. But Ray, I, I have a question for you, <laughs> though. You were sitting there and you're telling us today's July 4th. And I said, you know, that's impossible. July 4th is on Wednesday. And, of course, we do our show on Tuesday. Right. So, But not anymore. Right. And so it took me a second to go. Wait a minute. What day am I on now? It is the 4th of July. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of, I had to keep telling myself that before I uh, flipped on the mic here to, right. to, to go live. Just, it's the 4th, right? Right? It's the 4th, right? Tell yourself it's the 4th. <laughs> so, anyway, here we are on the 4th of July, folks, and we're glad that you could join us. Uh, it, it, it is a sad state of affairs. Uh, we've got uh, half the country. Uh, half the people in this country giving away our freedom. Uh, I'm very upset about that because I seem to be helpless to do anything about it. And uh, the only thing that I can do is is go to the voting box and vote these people out of office. At least I can go home and say, you know what, I tried to do something. And what we need is a lot of other people who value their freedom to get out there 
Uh, my gosh, if you're in, in the Dallas area and you need a ride to the to the place to go vote, you give me a call because <laughs> I'm I'm providing bus service. <laughs> so oh man, I, I don't know. What do you, the day I heard this, I was just absolutely beside myself. And of course I'm listening to Fox News. And the first thing Fox well, News there's, there's says your first is, mistake. Well, yeah. there it is, because they came out and they said the the law is not upheld. It's not upheld. And of course, my wife and I go, "Yes, somebody has a brain. Somebody has a spine on the Supreme Court." And then they said, "Oh, but under the tax code, it is constitutional." It's like, oh my gosh. What's even funnier is even today on the news, you still hear the Wibbles calling it a mandate. It's not a tax. It's a mandate. Well, it's all. <laughs> it's always a mandate when your side wins a victory. Whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, it's always a, a mandate. If uh, if Romney beats Obama by one percent, the Republicans would say it's a mandate. If Obama wins by one percent, the Democrats will say it's a mandate from the people. And uh, obviously, that's not so. So this is this is just you know uh, jargon for the presses is really what that's for. Right. And I don't know, Adam. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a constitutional expert, but I, I can think rationally. And to me, this absolutely seems like slavery to me. I mean, uh, uh, Judge Roberts is basically a, a guy that I have no respect for any longer. As far as I'm concerned, has no spine whatsoever. And I would even consider the possibility that his life was threatened to do what he did. Because it's absolutely ridiculous. And, of course, all the liberals were dancing and doing cartwheels in the streets. Uh, well, they finally, had a, they finally had a break after all these, th- all these uh, things they've lost. You know, they've, they've lost the important uh, vote in Wisconsin. Right. You know, Obama's head has been on a chopping block, you know, for the last week or two. Right. Uh, you know, so, this, so there was more than just them celebrating this win from the Supreme Court, it was them finally saying, it was for them going, wow, at last, you know, uh, something's going our way. And uh, they're going to milk it. They had to make it very painful for us. But, you know, let's, let's look at what this really boils down to. If we were to take another example, using the example that uh, uh, Justice Roberts used in calling it uh, a constitutional under the the tax code. With the Obama agenda, we all know that it's green energy. So Obama wants to go ahead and uh, tell everyone they want to pass a law and do pass a law that says that everyone in America must own a hybrid American car. And that if you don't go out and buy this American-made hybrid car, we are going to assess a tax on you. Mm. Yeah. Based upon what Justice Roberts did and the other other four liberals that we knew, we already knew what they were going to do. They're, they're, they're activist judges as far as I'm concerned. But based on what Justice Roberts said, it's entirely legal for them under the tax code to do that to us. Okay. Here's another example. Uh, uh, again, with the liberals' agenda, everything's green, 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 and greener. Everyone in America who owns a home 
must have solar panels installed from the companies that Obama funds, right? For those of you who don't do this, well, we're just going to assess a tax on you. Based on this recent ruling, both examples I just gave are, are, are total. The government is entitled to do that to us right now because of what these five judges did in, in, in particular, uh, Judge Roberts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, well, you know, and this isn't too far off. It's not like the, uh, the Supreme Court, you know, I'm sorry, it's not like we haven't used tax law to determine a direction we want the country to go in. Take, for example, smoking. Right. Right. How do we how do we stamp out smoking? We just increase the amount of taxes that you charge people until people change their behavior. So it's an interesting use of governmental power where you can uh, affect the way people live their lives. Basic, basically saying, I'm going to make it too expensive for you to do what you want to do. I'm going to make it less expensive for you to do what I want you to do. Right. So in some ways, this is almost like a, 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 a capitalist form of, of tyranny here. <laughs> <laughs> Only and they're using socialism to do it. <laughs> so it's it's really it's kind of funny. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not laughing. I, I, I know you're not laughing. <sighs> but if you don't laugh, you have to cry at some of this stuff. Well, and I have. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, you know, I, what else can you do? Uh, you can pray. You can... You know, seek help. Uh, I've started looking at uh, a possibility of, you know, get, let's. How do you buy a private island? Uh, I, you know, <laughs> I'm I'm going through the exercise of trying to figure a way out of this because I've just had it up to my eyeballs with with liberalism, with Democrats, with weak spined Republicans. I, I I just I don't know where to turn anymore other than Hashem, and uh, I'm hoping that I can win the lottery so I can buy that doggone island. <laughs> you know, and, and make and make uh, uh, liberalism a hanging offense on the island. You know, if if uh, the Republican Party were to describe the problem with what's going on with all this, they might say something like, "It's because people refuse to take responsibility for themselves." Well, I think it's actually more than that. I think it's because we refuse to take responsibility for our neighbors. We don't, we don't live in a vacuum. I, you know, the, the why is it that that liberalism, as it's imagined in this country, or socialism or communism or whatever, why does it seem like it works? What what is it? How does it sell itself? It sells itself on 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 what's in the better interest interest of the community, what's in the better interest of the group, the fact that, for example that uh, in, in Russia you had an aristocracy, right, that had right. all the wealth and you had the rest of the populace mm -hmm. who had nothing. Mm -hmm. So what do you do with that? We want to spread the wealth out. We want, we want more people to have something and the people who have everything to have less, you know, or have as much as I do. Right. So uh, the thing is, is that uh, it's, you know, we. I think in some ways this is this is an issue of good intentions for some people. Good intentions have probably become for some uh, selfishness. There comes a part. There comes a point with with all this where it ceases to be 
for everybody and it's become something for me alone, which is what's happened in Greece. Right. Because, it, you know, I'm sure some of the similar sort of mentality happened there, but then people got used to it and started just assuming, hey, I have this all the time. What would some people do if they didn't have $6,000 tax uh, refunds or $12,000 tax refunds? What would they, how would they pay for rent? How would they pay for food? How would they buy big screen TVs? Right. right? They wouldn't be able to without these huge tax refunds. Mm-hmm. And they, people come to think about it as, uh, as being their money. And look, I'm not saying this because I'm making it up. I used to work. Uh, I used to do taxes. Mm-hmm. And I had people come to me and say, I want my money. Well, uh, okay. I, I don't, you didn't pay any taxes in this year, so I don't, it's not really your money. It's someone else's money that is being given to you. Right. It's almost a secret. Slow fund. Well, yeah. I mean, it's a welfare, a form of welfare yeah. that we don't talk about, oddly enough. Well, the people who pay taxes aren't really aware of that. Only the people who don't pay taxes who are getting the checks make doggone sure they get it every year. But interestingly enough, this whole uh, tax code issue, in some ways, is this is aimed at these people that we're talking about who get these big refunds. So they're actually uh, they're actually going to uh, theoretically pay something in, or at least not get as much as they usually get. Right. Which is which is which is interesting. I think you mentioned this. We had, had this conversation that uh, in uh, in in some ways they were doing what uh, conservatives have always wanted them to do, which is uh, contribute in some way. Right. <laughs> well, kind of a backhanded I, way of doing it. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that I call it contributing. I, I, <laughs> I would just call it you know taking less. Right. You know, but you know, I, I think as a from a Torah perspective, we do have a responsibility to see that people do need to be taken care of. It's just, is government the means to do it through? Well, obviously it's not, because there isn't a, a country on the planet that you that anyone can tell me about where they've had socialism and, and or, no, socialism or communism, uh, even dictatorship, where the people uh, were, were happy. I mean, yeah, they may walk around with a grin on their face, but they're not truly happy. And there's a lot of people who are unhappy in this country, uh, which has also been kind of troubling uh, to me in terms of of, uh, Israel. It's almost like like we have so many issues that we're trying to resolve that we can't even, we're being forced not to pay attention to what's going on in Israel. And uh, I still will always remember what you know, Rabbi Richmond said during one of his lectures is that, you know, I'm really not worried about us in Israel. I mean, we, we're under the, the wing of a sham. I'm worried about you guys here in the United States. Sure. Now I'm beginning to kind of get a little bit better read on what that really means because I, 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 I'm hang, having to hang on to my wallet, uh, hang on to my watch and my ring but make sure the government doesn't walk by and snatch it. I mean, it's this old, this old saying, you know, hey, I'm here from the federal government. I'm here to help. Yeah. And, you know, you wind up uh, with a, 
uh, a sad face when they leave. Right. <laughs> and they go on to help somebody else. Right. Yeah, who needs that kind of help? So, yes. so what does all this mean for, for Israel? I mean, we're sitting here complaining about our lot in life, and I, I really am. Uh, is this a sign, do you think, that we are truly at the at the end of days? I mean, we are, we are on the cusp of something really, really big happening. Uh, well, I mean, I don't know. Well, at the very least, we want to be at the end of days of, of America uh, as we know it. Um, you know, every every country has its ride. And uh, it's interesting if you look at the history of the world, that ride always comes to an end about when that country decides that they're going to do something nasty to the Jewish people. And, you know, there's there's nothing nastier than what Obama's done to Israel in his, uh, you know, the way he's handled the Middle East situation. Absolutely. Now, there's there's a lot of people who would never say that, wow, this isn't, this is all coincidence. This isn't judged. But, you know, I look around and I see all the, uh, you know, the biggest fires in the history of Colorado. I'm, I'm looking at, uh, uh, you know, the, the massive storms that have hit uh, the U.S., the, you know, the mainland. Uh, I, I, you know, <laughs> I don't know how one could actually say that this isn't at least in part uh, judgment and certainly uh, the other part being, well, you, only, you deserve the leaders that you get. That you want, that you vote for. But you, you, you know, Ray, it's not just that it's judgment. It's an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Just like before the flood of Noah, God sent uh, disasters as opportunities for the world to repent. So they could say, look, I don't want to do something nasty to you, but we can't have this kind of behavior in the world. And, uh, you know, so this is what, so I think Hashem is giving us a series of, of opportunities to take a look at ourselves, look at our country, look at what we're doing and repent. This is, this is a time for repenting. This is a time for turning ourselves around and, uh, and, 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 and cleaving into the, the commandments and observing them and being careful in the way we execute them. That's what this is about. God is saying, America, you can do better. I'm giving you another chance. Do better. But those chances will only last for for a certain amount of time. Right. You know, this we, we've got to we've got to recognize we're, we're we've got Jonah knocking on the door saying mm-hmm. you need to change or Hashem's turning this place over. Yeah. I, I I can't help but agree. This is this is America's opportunity. And you know, look this election, uh I'm not saying that Obama having Obama in and out of office is necessarily going to save the country, but I'll say this is that he, he has made his administration an enemy of Israel and, and he has made America uh if not an enemy, then not the friend it used to be to Israel. Absolutely. And when it comes to Israel, when it comes to Israel, it's not about what Israel does for us or why we do it for Israel or what our self-interests are. Hashem says, I will bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. So what we want to do is we want to be in the position where we're blessing Israel and not cursing Israel because we want Hashem's blessing. Mm-hmm. So we need to we need to we need to have this take this country in hand. We take ourselves in hand and turn this country into a, a country that blesses Israel first and foremost. Because you know what, it's in our best interest, at least for that reason. Not just because it's good, not just because Israel's holy and because they have God's Torah and, and they've maintained the Noahide laws for the world, so they can have a relationship with Hashem one day when they decide to take responsibility. But you know, at the very least, on a pragmatic level, on a practical level, we want those blessings. Well, yeah, uh, I, I'm not encouraged though. <laughs> I mean, Noah spent 120 years. I, I mean, it's 120 years of people could have repented. And they they chose not to. It's like you know they knew they knew better somehow. How old how old was Noah when he got on the ark? Oh gosh, you're gonna uh, I don't know. 
I don't know the exact number. What is? We'll say about six hundred. About six hundred years old, right? Okay. So uh, out of that one hundred and twenty years, no action, you know, had a much longer lifespan than what we have. Oh, absolutely. So let's let's take the zeros off. Let's say he was sixty in our terms instead of one hundred twenty. We'll say twelve. So that meant if we were comparing our time to his time, you know, there's a span of about twelve years there that we've got to turn around and make the right decision. Uh, you know, as compared to him, if we're looking at this from a standpoint of ratios. Well, and we have to uh, to ask, when did that 12 years start? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Are we, <laughs> it wasn't today. Are we in year 11 or are we in year 2? What, where are we at? Uh, you know, this is, uh, this is scary stuff. We might be beyond it because, you know, I, I see the decline in our relationship with Israel yeah. starting with Oslo back in, the, yes. Yes. back in the early 90s. Yeah, so we may be living at borrowed time. Right. And, you know, it would seem that the... At least half this country doesn't care because uh, they seem to want to uh, uh, give this administration and just liberalism in general uh, just you know tighten the noose around our uh, collective throats a, a little bit more and loving it. I mean, you and I were talking about you know people on Facebook going, "Oh, I'm so glad he's in office," and "Oh, isn't uh, Obama great?" And you know what? I don't get it. Yeah, I don't, know, I don't get it either. But I, I look back at, at the time of Noah, 120 years, I'd have to say the same thing. I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> no, what is the matter well, I, I'm, I'm sure Noah was saying the same thing. Yeah. See, here, here was what Noah's mistake was. Noah didn't really think God was going to do it. That was his mistake. He thought because God is so merciful. And that's the same argument that we're making in this country. Okay. I don't See, I think he, he knew God would do it because he wouldn't have spent 120 years building this huge boat if he didn't honestly think God was going to do it. So there, I, I understand what you're saying, uh-huh. but... Uh, you know, let's give Noah a little more credit than that. I mean, he was a, a, a righteous guy. He walked with God. He, I mean, you know, but nonetheless, we still have a, a circumstance similar to what we have today, only we don't see anybody building an ark for well, us. But that's because everybody thinks God won't do it. That, well, that's, I mean, that's, look, that's right. That's look, true. Look at, look at the attitude of everybody, right? Yeah. Every time they're, they're confronted with a possibility, say Katrina. Remember when Katrina happened? You had people who came down and said, hey, you know, this is God's judgment on America. And people said, no, the God I know would never do something right. like that, right? right? Well, maybe you don't know God. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe he would do something like that. You know, I. And yet they'll stand there on the streets and go, why did God do this? How could God allow this to happen? <laughs> the people like, are ripping uh-huh. each other off, and, yeah. you know, and. Uh, you know, it's not like it's not like it was the most. Uh, it's not like Louisiana is, is the most. It's like a paragon of virtue amongst <laughs> the states in you know of the union. You know, I, I mean, look, I'm not belittling the tragedy that happened there. In fact, yeah. actually, I'm I'm actually trying to get us to focus in on how, how tragic it was. It's even more tragic though if we don't learn a lesson from it and learn lessons from everything else that's been going on in this country. Right. We we have, to, we have to we have to to learn what's going on. Don't say Hashem won't do it. Hashem will do it. He's done it. Yeah. I don't think you want to test uh, a chef because uh, we, I mean, we're not going to be satisfied with what the outcome is going to be. Uh, and speaking of focused, uh, we need to get out of here. Oh, we're, we're at the bottom of the, the hour already. Can you believe it? No, not really. Well, let's scoot out of here. Let's uh, uh, let Israel Last Radio do their thing. And uh, folks, stick around. We're coming back. Uh, we got some more for you. See you soon. Hi, 
I'm Tom. I'm from London, England. I'm taking an OPAM for a year at Hebrew University, and I listen to Israel National Radio. I was in England during the conflict in Gaza, and I had to go to the Israel Embassy to pick up my visa to come to Israel. I saw some of the scenes of people outside throwing things at the embassy, chasing the policemen. Not the sort of thing you expect to see in a Western liberal democracy. As a Jewish person, I definitely like to make. Well, no, I, I think I need to make Aliyah. Welcome back, folks. We uh, certainly do appreciate you sticking around here for a little while. Uh, we hope we got a, a pretty decent uh, second half here. We know with Rabbi Katz, it's always decent. You know, Adam and I, well, you know, maybe we, we try, but maybe sometimes uh, it's just not enough. Well, I'll tell you, it's a good thing that we left when we did because Ray had to throw some water on me because I got up from my, my, my box, my preacher stand, and I started pounding the table. So... It's a good thing he got me. He got me calmed down for the second half. Yeah, it's usually that's what we call a little bit of role reversal. <laughs> uh, normally, it was Adam throwing the water on me. <laughs> so, but you know that's that's what this does to us. I mean, people who uh, have a, a you know, especially ones who study Torah and and really work towards bettering ourselves in the name of Torah and. and, and become closer to Hashem, these things really affect us a lot deeper, I think, than a lot of folks, even even more than we even realize it affects us. But, you, but you know, that's not, that, it's not only that, it's that the clo- the gloves are coming off. We we can't play around for too much longer, people. You know, no. we, can, we can sit here and be nice and tell everybody we love you and Hashem loves you and, and you have, uh, you know, the next you know 130 years to get up off your end and, 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 and you know, really pursue Hashem, you know, but, you know, and I'm not just talking to you i'm talking i'm talking to myself as well yeah you know i sit there and i look at myself going man why aren't i more proactive why why aren't i you know doing more than i am right now i can be doing so much more you know we're in, so we are in such a tender delicate phase right now and what you quote from rabbi richmond is 100 percent. you know the jewish people have a special covenant of protection with the shem and you've seen how rough history has been for the jewish people now america and all these other nations don't have a special protect covenant of protection with from a shem all we have is the promise that if we bless Israel, Hashem will bless us. And if we curse Israel, Hashem will curse us. You know, so this is so this is really important. How we relate to Israel is determines how Shim's going to relate to us and our country. So this is not, you know, we can't afford, we're not playing in the sandbox. We're not, no. you know, goofing around. This is serious stuff here. Yeah. And so we can't help but get excited and get, you know, wound up about all of this stuff. And right. we, we've got to, you know, each individual has to, has to take stock and start figuring out what can I do to be better, to do better? How can I draw closer to a Shim? You know, start with yourself. And, and uh, that includes giving tzedakah. You know, Nimrod, I mean, I'm sorry, Nimrod, Nebuchadnezzar, right, put off his punishment from Hashem for seven years because he started giving tzedakah mm-hmm. on the advice of Daniel. Okay? that Giving tzedakah is a huge thing. And, you know, I, I you know, through all these things, I keep bringing it back to, you know, well, you know, I see the Democrats' point on a certain level because we're not doing our job. I'm not just saying that to be nice to the Democrats. I'm saying that because... On the one hand, I don't like the idea that that we're we're putting into place measures where we're forcibly having our our money removed from us and and moved around. But the other hand, I don't like the fact that I know I understand the reasoning with how we got there is because we're not taking enough 
responsibility for ourselves and for our neighbor. We have to just not not just responsibility for ourselves as individuals. We have to be responsible for those around us. And if they need something, we need to do what we can to help them out. If they need a job, we need to help them find a job. You know, if they need if they they lack some skills. Hey, you know what? I happen to know a little something about that. Let me help you out. Right. We have a huge responsibility, and we, we've got to get in the game. And that means every one of us. If you're a Noahide and you don't have your head in the game yet, it's time to get your head in the game. If you're a Christian and you're out there and you're, you're sitting, you know, I have faith in Jesus. Everything's wonderful. I'm sorry, buddy. You need to really think about, you know, what Hashem expects from me. Who is the God of Israel? What is his nature? Is he one? Is he many? You know, did the did the, the the message of the Torah end at the cross, or is it still applicable to today? So I'm getting wound up even yeah. more right now. Okay, then. I'm just saying we all need to we all need to stop take stock where we at, and we need to make some changes in our individual lives. And then if we do that, then we will have an effect on the greater community. Right. I, you know, I think a lot of it too, just put quite simply is uh, we, we are giving the appearance to Hashem, anyway, that we're just very ungrateful. We're just an, an ungrateful people, uh, similar to what Israel was like in, in, in the desert. I mean, they called them stiff-necked people. After seeing the, the, the unbelievable, miraculous things with the plagues and the, the parting of the sea, and I mean... How do you still complain after all of that? And and I, I I'm afraid that we have found ourselves in kind of that same ungrateful state. Uh, I look back at our founding fathers, and you know we may as well just spit on their grave because these people sacrificed the, you know their fortunes. They sacrificed in many cases their lives uh, for what? For freedom to get away from this sort of nonsense that was going on across the pond, as they say. And here we go. We, we can't run there fast enough. And I wish all these people who want to go there would just get in a boat and go back home where they belong and leave us free people alone. But, you know, I doubt that that's going to happen. They would just as soon force their will upon us. And the only thing that we can do is, is really, like you said, we need to start working on ourselves as individuals deep down, look in the mirror and say, who the heck am I and who, who do I want to be? Do I want to have a high... Uh, uh, standard of morals and, and ethics, or do I just want to be, you know, flipping these things out the window and live my life like an animal? Because in many cases, that's what we're talking about here. If you don't have Torah in your life, and if you're not learning Torah, and you're not trying to to uh, you know make it part of you, then you are living like an animal. You know, whether right. whether you're a, a tiger preying on others or you're a sloth, you know, you're an animal. And uh, if we're all about you know gratifying our our animal desires, you know what? God's got plenty of cows. He didn't create human beings to be cows. He didn't create human beings to be lions. Right. He didn't create human beings to be dogs. He created us to be human beings. And what is a human being? A human being is someone who attaches themselves to the Creator through the commandment. Right. We're supposed to uh, emulate Hashem. Now, obviously, we can't do that in the truest sense. But I, I sit back and I look at this country and what we have allowed to happen, and we're nowhere near that. I, I really don't believe that at all. Uh, it's, uh, I, gosh, I can't remember who, who said it, but uh, it's, it's a, a, a saying that, you know, that which we tolerate today, we embrace 
tomorrow. And that's exactly what's going on right now. We have tolerated these politicians taking our freedom. We as people have tolerated people giving our freedom away. And guess what? Now we get to embrace it yeah. or fight. I mean, we're talking about a revolution and the revolution is going to have to take place with a voting booth or out in the streets. Uh, it's going to be one or the other sooner or later. And I just hope that people can wake up and uh, do do what you know is right. Look deep inside of yourself. You know what's right. And this isn't Democrat versus Republican. This no, isn't you know, conservative versus liberal. This is everybody needs to, to take stock of themselves. Everybody needs to do what's right. And the political thing, you know, the only reason we're harping on that is because Obama's a disaster as a president. And um, it's obvious that another four years, I don't think the, the country can survive we'll that. We'll never survive it. And, uh, you know, he, he got... $862 billion from Congress to create 3 million jobs, okay? That's ridiculous. We don't have another $862 billion to spend on another 3 million jobs. We didn't have the first $862 billion. We had to borrow it. And I'll tell you what, I don't know. Look at your own finances. Tell me how often using a credit card ever helped you get out of debt. Yeah, and guess, guess where that money came from? It came off of your dinner table. Yeah. It came uh, in the form of, of gas out of your car, gas that you couldn't put in your car. Uh, I, I mean, just sit and think about what is happening around you. You know, get your head in the game. And, you know, that's, from Adam and I, that's, uh, that's a, a biggie for us. And we're going to continue to do what we can do uh, as our part, you know, as far as with No High Nations, uh, Israel National Radio. Uh, we're going to do what we can to uh, contribute to a, a better world. Um, and in the meantime, we've got to have Rabbi Cat step right in here and give us another excellent teaching. I can't well, hardly wait. Watch the landmines, Rabbi Cats. Right. <laughs> Folks, we'll see you later. See you soon. Hello and welcome to another week of the radio broadcast of the Yeshiva or Academy of Shem and Aver. I am Rabbi David Katz. This week we're going to discuss a new element to the seven laws of Noah in a bit of a different angle. And the angle that we're going to discuss relates directly to the relationship of Shem and Abraham. Now, let's go ahead and get into the topic. How many commandments are there upon mankind? So the simple answer would be, there are seven laws of Noah, commanded from the time of Adam Arishon, the Adam of the Garden of Eden, that were handed down through Noah, and the offspring of Noah are charged with the observance and maintaining of seven laws of Noah. Then we're going to have the birth of a Jewish nation, and the Jewish nation, as the axiom goes, will, will declare themselves obligated at Mount Sinai into 613 commandments. And then there's another aspect of a, new, of a number of commandments that really goes under the radar. And this is the Ten Commandments, the famed Ten statement, Sayings of Commandments on Mount Sinai. Now, there's an, a, a book of Kabbalah named the Bahir. It's Kabbalistic work, oh, the, almost around 2,000 years ago it was written by one of the sages of the Talmud. The premise is, there was, the, there was a, a dictum in the book, and it states, seven days a week, they praised Hashem seven times a day. 
And the students of the academy respond and they ask, what in fact were these praises? The teacher responds, you did not pay attention to my words, for if you would have paid attention, you would know exactly what's going on. Thus, therefore, go out, check the words and come back in. End of quote. Now, the way that the, the Kabbalistic books work is there's, there's something called like a lateral movement in thought. From the fact that they, they ask the teacher, where what were these praises? It allows the teacher to say something with, with, with wisdom. Instead of just answering simply, he capitalizes on the question and suggests now, oh, you didn't understand my words, go out and come back in. This is called chaparain in Yiddish, meaning seize the moment. The teacher seized the moment to say, just like when Isaac learned the Torah from Shem, he had to learn the Torah of Abraham that Shem taught. Thus, Isaac learned the Torah of Abraham, and Isaac learned the Torah of Abraham as taught by Shem. Thus, there were two perspectives. So what the teacher is stating here is my words, let's say, are the Jewish words, or one perspective, go out and come back in with another perspective. And this is relating to Isaac, Abraham, and Shem. Go out of the Torah of Abraham proper and come back in through the entranceway of Shem. And what you're essentially doing is to answer the question, what were these seven praises? We are taking the 613 commandments and we are going out from them and we are entering through seven praises. What this is, is it's a way of saying, leave the Jewish side and acknowledge the Noahide side. What is the Noahide side? Seven commandments were the seven praises. Why are the seven commandments of Noah called the seven praises? The answer is, if you read in the verses by the, the, the Torah's statements to Noah to observe the seven commandments of Noah, if you read carefully... When it says, if you draw blood from another man, his blood will be drawn. This is an aspect of Mida Keneged Mida, measure for measure. But how can there be measure for measure? Where is justice coming from? There must be spirituality. Otherwise, the law of the jungle, the strongest man wins. But Hashem says, no, blood will, be, will have vengeance. That Hashem will get vengeance on the murderer. There is a divine providence by the laws of Noah. There is divine providence. There is a mazal. There is a, there is a spiritual component. What we learn from that is the seven laws themselves have a mazal, a spiritual component, a divine providence. The world was created for you to be a righteous person. Now, how do we become a righteous person? The seven laws of Noah are the, the basic format, essential format of becoming righteous. Every single day, you, Jew, Noahide, whoever you are, aside from 613 commandments, every day you are confronted with seven laws of Noah. 
Every day you are to pass seven tests. Eating from the, the live flesh, cursing, idolatry, killing, stealing, immorality, and, the, and making court systems, and adultery. And if I repeated one, you understand what I'm saying, the seven laws. Every day you are confronted with passing those seven tests. And it's not literal necessarily. It can be conceptual. Where do we learn this from? In the Torah, we learn if you embarrass a man, that is akin to murder. So when the seven laws say don't kill, if you embarrass somebody, that is killing. Therefore, that was your test. And every day you have seven. Every day you have seven tests. Those are the seven praises when you pass the test. Now, how do we get the 613 in here? 613 commandments are the matter that allows you to understand the nature of passing a test. Do you have to convert to Judaism? No. Shem was a Noahide. Abraham was the father of 613 commandments. What Abraham was doing was using 613 commandments in observance in knowledge and brain power to have the ability to pass tests. And Abraham did it to a, a level of high intellect. What did Abraham do? He had to pass 10 tests. And what are these 10 tests corresponding to? The 10 commandments. Thus, there's three levels of commandments here. There's the seven laws of Noah. That every day, the Noahide must pass to be righteous. Seven tests every day to declare over and over again. He is a commanded Noahide. The Jew, every day, must pass seven tests of the seven laws of Noah. The difference is, in a preference, Shem chose to pass the, the seven laws by not being obligated in 613. He chose to master the seven in its own right. Abraham chose that through 613... He has a lesser amuna or faith level than Shem in this level that he says from 613 as a lifestyle that I am for sure to pass the seven laws of Noah. It's a matter of preference. How do you want to learn about righteousness? Abraham says, I want to not even think about seven. I want to focus on 613 so that the seven laws are every day assumed to be passed. It's going up a level. Does that mean he was on a higher level than Shem? No. Shem had mastered the art of passing seven laws. But by means of focusing on those seven laws... Abraham saw that he preferred 613 to pass the seven tests every day. Both Abraham and Shem come to the same conclusion. As Abraham passed the seven tests daily to pass the ultimate ten tests of Abraham. And on that level, after the binding of Isaac, the Akedah, Abraham was on the level of Shem. Thus we must say... That Shem was on the level of having succeeded in seven laws and having a mastery of what the 613 mitzvahs or commandments would take 
But he didn't take them upon himself. No need to. He was perfectly righteous in the, the essential requirement of being righteous every day. Even if you, pass, if you take on 613, you are judged on the seven tests every day. Thus, the, 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 the scenario is the same. It's a matter of how are you going to approach righteousness. Both are equally valid. And the, and the product is you will be of the Ten Commandments. Now the Jew will be obligated in Shabbos one way. The Noahide is to take on Shabbos not like the Jew, but like it says in Divrei Kabbalah, in the works of Tanakh, in the book of Isaiah, there's a verse that describes how we are to observe the Sabbath. It doesn't state it to be like a Jew or like a Noahide. The Jew learns it according to the law his way, and the Noahide will, will observe the Shabbat his way. It is allowed for the Noahide to be with God. What is one of the requirements of that verse? The day is honored as holy to God. Rest. From going beyond the boundary. Keep the day holy. Don't speak idly. These are lessons for everybody in the world to, re- to designate a time for God. The Jew would learn it a little differently. He would learn it as the prohibition of 39 labors. Together, they both would celebrate the Sabbath. Thus, one would be obligated. One would find it to be a good thing. Eitzatova. Good counsel. Both would be obligated in the Ten Commandments based on their background, either as a Noahide in his life, the Jew in his life, represented by Shem and Abraham. Thus, everybody goes through seven. Everybody either directly goes through 613 or has an, an understood knowledge of 613 by passing the seven tests. Both are, are born into a reality where ten commandments are on the world. And they both take a different form in how you got there. Thus, there are seven commandments, there are 613 commandments, and there are ten commandments. And no matter how you draw it up, how you observe the ten, how you, how you relate the 613, how you relate the seven laws of Noah, Every day you are tested with the test of Shem. How are you going to pass seven laws, seven tests every day to be a righteous individual? Shem mastered the seven tests, the seven laws every day. Abraham did as well. They both took two different routes of doing so. Both are correct. It's a preference. A Jew is born as a Jew. A Noahide is a Noahide. Or if he chooses to walk the path of the Jew in order that he should be righteous, that is his choice. But at the end of the day, the Noahide path and the Jewish path have a common goal of righteousness by being tested and praising God seven times a day, seven days a week. That's all for this week. I'm Rabbi David Katz. Thank you very much. Tune in next time. Thank you. Well, folks, that was Rabbi David Katz of Svat Israel. And as always, Rabbi, thank you so much for your, I mean, just remarkable insights to the Torah. And uh, Adam, it's been a, a rough day. And, and I think we've got a few more rough days ahead of us. So uh, hang on, put the seatbelts on, folks. Uh, we're, we're, we will be back here next week, I guarantee it. Next week. Have a great Fourth of July, guys. Yeah, do enjoy it as best you can. Shavuotov. Shavuotov. Thank you.
Hello again, Orochetta listeners. Neely Abrams, your certified holistic health coach from Choose Life Nutrition, talking to you about wellness issues that matter to you and your family. Each week, I talk about how to eat better, move more, and to choose your best life one step at a time. Summer's upon us, and thanks to climate change, it feels a lot hotter than usual all around the world. Are there any secrets to staying cool when the temperatures are reaching record highs? Is there a better way to eat or exercise for heat relief? Well, according to the ancient medical science called Ayurveda, the summer is the fire or the pitta season. This science teaches us what to eat and how to act to balance this pitta element so we'll all feel cooler and more comfortable all season long. The summer is made of fire and water, and its qualities are hot, sharp, oily, and light. During the season, you can reduce the heat within your own body by eating a diet of cooling foods and moving in a cooling manner. The best food choices to stay cool include sweet, juicy fruits like melons, plums, and peaches. Add bitter and astringent vegetables such as cucumber, mint, collards, kale, and cilantro, while including digestive spices to your food such as cumin, coriander, fennel, and turmeric. You should limit hot, spicy, fermented, salty, oily, fried foods as it will increase the heat in your body and make you feel hotter. And finally, reduce or eliminate alcohol and caffeine as they're both sharp and hot, keeping you hot when you want to cool down. And please remember, drink plenty of cool, fresh water. It's always important during every season to exercise regularly, but the type of exercise you do should also be in balance with the time of year. During the heat of the summer, it's best to swim and do gentle yoga. If you prefer biking and running, try to save these activities in the early morning and evening when the temperatures are slightly cooler. Many people love to do Berkham's hot yoga, but I would encourage them to switch to a cooler type during the heat of the summer. Specific yoga postures and breathing exercises are more cooling than others as well. So follow these simple changes and feel cool and comfortable this summer. To learn about how you can reach your wellness goals and for a free no-obligation health consultation, please visit my website www.choosenifenutrition.com And remember, you can choose your best life one step at a time.